0: Our focus this morning is uh, sexy wisdom. (laughs) A number of times I have heard Pastor Annie in her introductions before she speaks. She kind of whinges and complains about topics that Pastor Martin gives her. Pastor Annie, you can have this one anytime. So, sexy wisdom from a man who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I can relate to that. <laughs> so, men would say, one is tough enough. We need wisdom. Oh, by the way, um, Rosemary and I, we, we marked our 38 years of togetherness yesterday. So. Uh, I'm very blessed. I am tremendously blessed. But sexy wisdom. Um, In John 5, 39, Jesus, talking to a bunch of religious people, says this to them. He says, you are diligently searching the Scriptures because you think that through them you can have eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify of me. And in those days, the Scriptures, the New Testament was not written yet. The Scriptures were the Old Testament, including Proverbs, right? So Jesus is saying, find me in Proverbs. Find me. So thank you, worship team, for leading us to the presence of God this morning. Because what we need today is through the Holy Spirit to hear God speak to us. Um, And I trust that by the time we're done, we will have received a word from Jesus today. Otherwise, our time together would have been futile. Pray with me. Holy Father, as we open your word in this kind of complex topic this morning, we want to see Jesus. May your Holy Spirit guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just as as a general observation, the book of Proverbs essentially contains about 139 what we call imperatives, commands, right? And these commands, these strong recommendations, are being addressed to one person. Uh, a father, the book is written, actually Solomon only had one son. We were having a discussion with Rosemary, did you really have one son with 700 wives? We don't know, but from the scripture perspective, only one son is mentioned. So we are going to assume that he is writing to his boy, right? And uh, um, and, it, and this wisdom is being shared by the Father. And 27 times he uses the term, my son. Right? Listen, my son, to your father's instructions. My son, if you accept my words. My son, do not forget my teaching. My son, my son, accept what I say. And I will take the liberty to, to quote one that my mother always told me. My son... If sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. The French rendition is this. Mon fils, si les pêcheurs veulent te séduire, ne te laisse pas gagner. I learned this before I knew about Solomon. My mother drummed this into me since I was a little boy. So my son, right? My son. And... It's a book that is written with a sense of urgency and intensity. And we read that in this text. In the last chapter of uh, the book of Proverbs, um, Solomon will use this term to, to show uh, really the intensity of what he's trying to say. Rob, if we cut the next uh, verse, please. He says, listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. It's not casual counsel here. It's like there is a sense of urgency in the book. I must underline the fact that he is not essentially saying to his boy, listen to what I have to say. Isn't to his boy, inasmuch as he was the wisest man known at the time, he's not saying to me, listen to me, I've got the answers. No, he's he's actually pointing. He's pointing his son towards the greater wisdom and in in, in the first uh, couple of verses of the book of proverbs rob we read this it says the fear of the lord it's that thing listen to me he says the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction so he's pointing his voice to god not so much to him and proverbs 3 5 is a passage that we kind of know by by heart if rob could rod could send us this one if you stay connected, Rod, please, that would be helpful. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. <laughs> Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. You know, he's, he's leading his son to the knowledge of God. I said 25 times he used the word, my son, my son. But in the chapter that we're looking at today, Proverbs chapter 5, 6 and 7 covers the same theme. Eight times he uses my son. It's like he's saying, I'm dealing with a topic now where I need your complete attention. There is intensification and the topic, the subject matter of Proverbs 5 is actually stay away. (laughs) Stay away, my son. Stay away. Right? Uh, He's saying, he's talking about faithfulness. And unfaithfulness. He's talking about the pain of brokenness. And he's saying, my boy, don't go there. Don't go there. And a summing text is the next one that we're going to see. It says this, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your spring overflow in the streets? Your streams of water in the public squares? No. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Bottom line is, don't take this outside the boundaries of your home. This is for you and your partner. This is for you and your wife. There is too much brokenness in the, taking this out of there. Stairway, stairway is the word. But Pastor Martin said, well, you know, you've been in youth work for a long time, so it should be an easy topic for you, right? Well, I, uh, I have taken the habit of saying to young people, stay away, right? I'll give you an example. Uh, a few years ago, we, I was uh, Director for Youth Ministry of the South Pacific Division and I was commissioned by the headquarters of the church uh, to set up a youth congress in Thailand, in Bangkok. I might have shared some of that story with you. And um, so, because I was here in the South Pacific, they know that we are very interested in service projects. He said, uh, my boss from the GC said, Gil, I want you to go to, to Thailand and set up service projects for about 2,000 young people who are going to come from all over the world. And it was a joy. I was in Bangkok, about in Thailand, about every, every month, setting up this project over two years. And at the end, after these projects, all these 2,000 young people were to converge to Bangkok for a celebration of service, right? So on the last week of preparation, eh, the, the place where these young people were going to congregate were about, you know, five minutes from uh, probably the most notorious red light area in the world, Pat Bon, right? So they said, well, Pastor Kenji, do you have any instructions? <laughs> I said, stay away, he said, well, we need to break it down, what do we say? So I decided that I would go to Patpong. So I, uh, my family had been with me there before, Rosemary, we had visited, so I went down to Bong and walked to those streets, the marketplace at night, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was very animated, very open, very visible, and after a while I got tired and I felt like, you know, just uh, a drink, some water, and it's hard to find water in that place, or juice. So I eventually found a little bar outside. It was by the street, so I stopped there, and a young lady came to me, and I said, "Uh, could I have a fruit cocktail, please? She said, sure. She went and served me the fruit cocktail. And then she says, "Uh, aren't you going to buy me one? Never heard uh, someone serving ask this question. Then my mind stopped <laughs> and I'm saying, I was going to stay away from these places, <laughs> and I'm right there. Right? So I said, "Sure." Um, at this time, there's a story that came to my mind from a Christian sociologist, uh, Tony Campolo. He he tells a story, right? And this came back to my mind. I'm going to say to myself, "Gil, are you going to walk away now, or are you going to play this out?" So I decided I'd play this out. So I said, you know, I offered her a drink, and then uh, I started a conversation. I said, well, so what do you do here? You're not just serving, are you? She said, no, that's my base. I work from here. So uh, I said, oh, um, you've got lots of work tonight. She said, it depends on you. And I said, oh, well, okay, Uh, how much did you charge? She gave me the price. So, I don't know, I I, I am almost tempted to say the Holy Spirit said the Holy, no, I'm not going to put the Holy Spirit in this. I'm just playing this out, right? So she gave me the price, I said, just wait for me. I went to the ATM and brought the money back. I said, okay, when when you're ready, we'll go. Okay, so five minutes later, she packs up, and I follow her. And I said, the first thing I want you to do is take me to the nicest restaurant you know. I want to treat you to the best meal you've ever had, right? So we're walking in Padbong now, and she holds me by the hand. right? And I suddenly become very conscious of what's going on, right? I'm saying, if my boss sees me, there's a lot of Aussies in Padbong, right? If anybody sees me in that posture, I'm in trouble, right? So we walk, and she, her best restaurant was basically a bar with a lots of Aussies and lots of U.S. people just having a wonderful time, right? And she brought in her colleagues, and I was introduced to a whole bunch of girls. And I'm saying, Lord, where is this going? So we're done with our meal, and we walk out, and she says to me, where are we going? I looked at her, and I said, well... You're going home. And I pulled out my money and I gave it to her. She said, what does that mean? What does that mean? I said, you're going to have a night off tonight. Okay? So go home. Go home and have a break. you got your wages for tonight. Go and have a rest. She looked at me and she said, why are you doing this? I said, you know what? Um, I have been the receiving end of a lot of kindness. So, I just feel like doing something tonight, so this is an act of kindness for me. She said, no, I really want to know why you're doing this. So, there are thousands like me here, so do you think this is going to make a difference? I said, well, it might not make a difference for a thousand people, but for you, it might. And 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 I asked the question, I said, why do you do this? Immediately, tears begin to stream down her face. She says, you know what? Since you asked, this is the only way I can see my boy through school. I come from a village. This is not my preferred profession. It's tough, but I do it for my boy because that's the only way. I said, have you considered any other way? She says, there's none. Right? So I I, I was aware of a few projects in Project Rehab in Thailand. So I said, listen, give me your phone number. And these are some of the people I know And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll connect them with you uh, She said, okay But I said, you go home You go home And she disappeared in the darkness Did she go home? I don't know Did she go back to the bar? I don't know But what I found out that night was the people That I was going to ask young people to stay away from Were the people who needed the most rescuing Stay away Yes, protect yourself, but the world is filled of broken people who need help. And that threw me back to another story, similar story. Pastor Martin, I must watch my time with my stories, right? It's back when I was a teenager, and and there was a lady who lived behind our house. And uh, she was in that same business, and and the boys in the afternoon when the sun would go down, we used to sit in in the front of the house and watch her. Her name was Marie-Therese, Christian knows her. <laughs> she used to go to work. And the boys, we used to sit. It was like a mystery for us. I mean, she was she was she was a sight to behold. She used to wear those very tight, short leather, leather skirts, you know, and she had a little sleeveless shirt red and and her jewelry and, and long wide gypsy-like earrings and her long black hair covered them. The boys, when we saw her come out, was like, wow, look at that, you know. Like so, it's like, she's having a lot of fun, eh? And one day, I was by myself in the front of the street, and, and this woman, Marie-Thérèse, turned to me. Her taxi was waiting, and she turned to me, and she came over to me, and she said, um, Mr. Gilbert, I was only about 14. She said, I received a letter and I don't understand what it says. Can you, can you read it to me? I said, uh, well, uh, here? She said, yes. Now I was standing in the street from my house with her. And I didn't think that was wise. So I said, do you mind if I ask my mother if you can come inside the house and you know, we could, maybe I could do that, read it to you in my house. See, she had never been in my house, although she lived behind our house, because we're Christians, you know? So I went to my mother, and I said, Mom, there's a need here. There's Marie-Thérèse, she needs something. It was written in English, and I understood what it says. My mother was a bit hesitant, but she says, okay. So I, we went in the lounge room, and I opened the letter. It was essentially a letter um, from a Swedish sailor, right? And the Swedish sailor was saying to her, words to the effect, Listen, Marie-Thérèse, we had a wonderful time together, it was great. He says, um, Whenever I, you're a beautiful person, I really like you. Next time, if my ship comes to Mauritius, I'd like to connect with you again. Here's my address, please let me know. Um, you know, uh, give me some news about you and stuff like that. And I looked up and I saw tears, like the woman in Bangkok, streaming down her face. And I was confused. I'm saying, I'm looking at her and she says, Mr. Gilbert, no one has ever told me that I matter. No one has ever told me that I am a person of value. Um, Can you help me write back to this person? I said, "Uh, sure. Okay. So what would you like for me to say? Well, tell him that I was really touched, that I really like what he said to me. And tell him that if he wants me to come and live in Sweden with him, I'm happy to do that. In my 14-year-old mind, I'm saying, don't go too fast, woman, you know, you'll scare the guy away. But I was only 14 and she was a professional, so she knew what she was doing. So. And I wrote it. We sealed it, we mailed it, but we never heard back from the Swedish sailor. But I learned something that day. That she was not leaving her five-year-old behind to go um, and have fun. It was a sore means of survival for her. It was not a choice. So I'm saying, stay away? Yes, there is a staying away that we need to stay away from. But there is a going with purpose as well in reaching out to the needy of our world. And Rod, if you're still with me, the next, I mean, we know that there is, uh, there is an amazing uh, issue in our world today about this, about the, the, the proliferation of human trafficking. And the stats tell us that out of three or four women who are enticed and are brought into trafficking uh, is for sexual exploitation. Right. So yes, yeah, stay away, my son, stay away, yes. But on the other hand, there is a need in the world that you need to go and rescue and save, right? So my question is this morning, why is Solomon, I'm coming to my topic, Pastor Martin, why in Proverbs 5 is Solomon getting intense about this whole thing about stay away? In my years as a a student, um, one of my professors used to say to us, if you want to know what's going on in the life of a pastor, listen to his sermons. Over and over again, if you're part of a congregation and you hear your pastor speak, he will always gravitate to themes that are personal, pertinent to his own life, right? And I'm saying to myself, oh, is there, is there a case here with Solomon? Is he really harping and going to his son about this whole staying away for reasons? And I decided that I would check it out. I would decided that we'll check it out. And so, who is Solomon? Uh, Son of David, and uh, he was established on the throne of his father, and he loved the Lord. And one day, while he was worshiping, um, the Lord appeared to him. And the Lord said to him, Solomon, you can ask me whatever you want. Boy, you can ask me whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon thought, and I love his response, he says, now the Lord, um, now Lord my God, you have made your servant in in, in, in place of my father David, but I am only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Wow, what what a noble request. He could have asked anything, but he chose wisdom. Give me a heart that will understand right from wrong so I can serve you well. And this is God's response to him. It says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will be never There will never have been anyone like you, nor will ever be. And later in verse 10 of chapter 10, and the comment, the writer would say this, King Solomon was greater in riches, in wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Now, what else would you want? You know, people from all over the world want to make appointments with you. To hear you speak about all kinds of topics, about life, about nature, about all kinds, of science. You got it. People are making appointments with you, lining up from all over the world. And on top of that, he was the richest man. Now, what else? What else? What else would you want? First Kings 11, verse 1. King Solomon, however, however, what's however? It's like, a, it's like a discordant note. It's like, this is a disruptive word. All is going well, all is going well. But however, what's the however that disrupts your life? You know, you, things are going well, and, however. What is it? The financial, however? Is this a marital, however? Is it a business, however? What is it that comes and disrupts? So here it is King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women, besides Pharaoh's daughter, who was his wife. How does that happen? I don't know. Moabites. Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. And his spring did not just go in the neighborhood, but it went through the whole Middle Eastern world. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, You must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. However, nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wife led him to Jesus. (laughs) His wife led him astray. And the next passage, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart, trust in the Lord with all your heart, in all your ways acknowledge him, his heart, stern to other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his David his father had been. He followed Astoreth and so on and so forth. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father. And I think, I think, that's, that's when he wrote to his son. <laughs> it's not at the beginning of his life when he was cruising when he was growing old, he took a rear-view mirror of his life and he's saying, I must talk to my boy. <laughs> I must talk to my boy. My boy, stay away. Stay away. Uh, First King 11 is the last chapter that talks about Solomon in the book. In fact, at the end of chapter 11, he dies, right? And I won't go into what happened to him. As God says... You know, you disappointed me. Um, you're going to leave, but I'm going to take away all that I gave you. Right? There is brokenness. And, and, and my point this morning is that Solomon is not writing to his son as a wise man. He's writing to his son as a broken man. And it is out of brokenness sometimes that we do our best work. Because our brokenness takes us to a place of solidarity with humanity. right? Um, we're all broken in different ways. We just need to acknowledge it and say, hey, this is what I learned. Nobody is a champion here. We're all broken people trying to teach people, trying to share with our, with our boys, with our girls, what we have learned in our respective brokenness. And we're going to watch our mind. And, and uh, one of the reformers wrote this, and I love this passage. What the heart loves... The will chooses and the mind justifies, right? Watch that. The heart is deceitful. Get friends in your life who are going to hold you accountable. I had a very good friend who was walking away, close friend who was walking away from his wife and his three kids. So I decided to have a chat with him and say, so what's the deal here? He says, well, I really have to do this. I said, oh, really? So tell me about it. He said, girl, you don't have to worry because I prayed about it. He says, in fact, in my prayer, God says to me, don't worry. I will look after your kids. What the, what the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. Get good friends around you. Because sometimes you might think you're doing the Lord's will, but in fact, you're going in a different direction. But I'm, I'm concluding now. And I'm saying, can broken people, can broken people, Be useful and advise and give counsel. Uh, Check this from uh, one of the greatest leaders our world has known. It says, God uses people who fail because there aren't any other kind around. Amen? So, we're good. (laughs) Out of our stuffing up, we can still do our thing but not place ourselves on the throne of God. But says, hey, my brother, hey, my boy, this is what I learned from my brokenness, right? Please, please don't follow me. (laughs) Please don't follow me, but follow Jesus, right? And I will finish now. I'm looking at the clock, and there's a section, Rod, just beef the section completely because Solomon had some good wisdom about relationships, and we'll we'll forget that, and we'll go to the text in Chronicles. Just before Chronicles, there's the last uh, passage I'd like to lead you to. Um, just before that Rod so um, and Solomon at the end he, he says I too have been a son right I too have been a son and he says listen my sons to a father's instructions pay attention and gain understanding I give you sound learning so do not forsake my teaching for I too was a son to my father still tender and cherished from my mother this is a throwback to his parents and you know who his parents were Father David and mother Bathsheba. Oh boy. Brokenness. Parental brokenness passed on to kids and now he's passing his own brokenness to his boys because we're all broken. And we say, what can we learn from our brokenness to share? But I leave you with a word of hope. I leave you with a word of hope. And the last passage is this, as the band comes up. This is about David, right? Right? This is a badly written piece of story, uh, story in the Bible, because it's like a few pages have been torn from it. This is the later version of the story of David. It says, "In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, Joab led out the army, uh, the armed forces. He laid waste the land of the Ammonites and went to Rabbah and, and besieged it. But David remained in Jerusalem. Joab attacked Rabbah and so on and so forth." Then it says, David took the crown from the head of their king. Its weight was found to be so, so, so. Then he took a great quantity of plunder to the last line. Then David and his entire army returned to Jerusalem. It's written like a complete story, but it's not a complete story. There are a number of pages of this story that have been taken away from it. Let me just read you the original story. It starts in the same way. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroy the Ammonites, they besiege Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. That's same story. Then it says, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof. It's not here. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, hey, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. However, however, David said, send for her. And the rest of the story, uh, he gets the husband taken care of. And then the child dies And then Solomon is born Um, But when his story is written Later This has been taken away completely What is the point? We are all broken people But God will write our final story And in God's final story all our howevers, all our stuff-ups would have been taken care of. Because, not because of us, but because we serve a God of grace. And David will say, you know, uh, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits. As a father has compassion in his run, so the Lord has compassion of those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed from us our transgression. And this is the verdict the final verdict He is a champion and i challenge you this morning and i ask you what's your however what's your however you know in your own journey is it a financial however is it a marital however is it a relational however give it to jesus and he will take care of it and i will still Embrace the wisdom that comes from Solomon in in spite of all his brokenness. The last verse, if you're still here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then the last one. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it, from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Keep your heart with Jesus. Young people, take time. Yeah, take the wisdom from God. Yeah, mom and dad, they're wise, but they have had their own howevers. Right? They're trying to do their best. But all of us broken people want to lead us to Jesus because he is the ultimate answer. Amen.